testing testing hello 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 okay there we go my microphone was backwards so that's <laughs> hi everybody how are you doing today i'm like so excited about this episode normally i have been i wouldn't say dreading recording the pod but i will say it's taking me a bit longer to get in the right headspace for it and today i'm here i'm ready we're back we're better than ever i am sitting here recording the pod and i just realized this is the first episode that i haven't had a major life event transpire in the week since i've recorded let me repeat that it has been i've been doing the pod so we have 10 episodes up right now and i skipped two weeks while i was on the colorado trail so 12 total weeks of my life this podcast covers in great detail the adventures of my life this is the first week (laughs) that i haven't thrown myself into some kind of wild adventure in the last seven days i did move to honolulu but that was last week's episode that wasn't this week's episode so i'm wow am i settling down who is she welcome welcome back to the pod you guys as always i'm your host mac shea smith i have not been doing a very good job introducing myself on these podcast episodes lately i think i just assume it feels like talking to a friend so i just assume you all know me and my entire life story but i'm realizing that isn't the case and there are people believe it or not in this world who are finding my content for the very first time through like Spotify or Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, whatever, recommendations. To those people, I say, hello, welcome. (laughs) I'm so stoked you're here enjoying the mess and I hope that you enjoy the podcast. And I hope that this piece of content is enough to convince you to be a fan of mine forever. A girl can dream. I'm not gonna lie to you, I have a lot of things that I wanna talk about today. I promised on my Instagram that I would talk about settling into a routine, moving somewhere new, returning to CrossFit. I also promised someone that I would talk about van life. I think something a lot of my new followers don't know is that I lived in a van for a year and that is where a lot of people initially started to find my content. I used to be Mac in the Sprinter on TikTok and There's a lot of people still from the Mac and the Sprinter days, which is frankly an honor. It's an honor that people have stuck around for this long. It's nice to know my content has longevity and people actually like listening. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, you know though, I have a tendency to write outlines and then stick to it hardly at all. I love myself a tangent. I love getting on weird tangents and going on these long whiny stories and we just never know where things are going to go. So that is what's going to happen today, probably. Let's not say we're going to stick to an outline we're not going to stick to. Let's not count our chickens before they're hatched, you know? I think I really want to start today with a topic I haven't really touched on much of my social media. I have briefly mentioned it on TikTok, but I have not posted anything formal about this or really given a real explanation as to what happened. And I'm feeling 
feeling untouchable. I'm feeling like I'm ready to share this story, finally. Considering I am back in a CrossFit gym, it's something that has been at the forefront of my mind, okay? So today is the fucking day that I tell the story of why I got kicked out of my CrossFit gym. This is a story that I have not told because I was intimidated with a lawsuit. Literally a lawsuit. This is just so fucking ridiculous. Basically what happened is I moved to California. I found a new gym. The owner of the gym started coaching me one-on-one writing programming, but I was training for an ultra marathon at the time. I wasn't training for CrossFit or to be a CrossFitter. So after a couple months, I asked him to stop writing my programming. He took it very personally and began literally bullying me at my own gym. He would make comments about me in front of me. He would make comments about me to other members who would then tell me about those comments. There was an atmosphere of intimidation. It got to the point where I looked on Instagram to find one of the new members at the gym and I saw that my gym had unfollowed me on Instagram. Like as a paying client, and my gym follows everyone who goes to that gym. I was unfollowed by the gym Instagram. While at the same time, my Instagram posts, my race wins, my accomplishments were being reposted onto the gym's Instagram as promotional material. I had been wanting to leave the gym for a while, but I loved my my coach and I loved the community and I loved the class that I was going to every day. I would avoid the owner of my gym while still paying, you know, almost 200 bucks a month for a membership, just so I could be in a community that I loved and be around the people at the gym. The community at the gym was amazing. I had no issue with the people who went to the gym. I loved the gym. The programming was great. Like literally everything was great, except the owner of the gym had major beef with me for not being on his programming. Around February, one of the athletes from the team on the gym Uh, she's one of my best friends she said you know what I'm like tired of the atmosphere at this gym I want to go try another gym I was like dude thank fucking god I have been waiting for you (laughs) I have been waiting to try out a new gym for you okay so we go to a new gym and me being a fucking tiktoker who posts everything about my life on the internet I post something on my tiktok saying I tried a new gym today I'm tired of being bullied at my normal place of exercise. One of the girls, there is so much other drama built into this, but a girl who used to be my friend took my TikTok, uh, sent it to the owner of my gym. I received an email the next day saying, I'm happy that you found a new gym, so I'm going to go ahead and take the liberty of canceling your membership. That was like word for word, a quote. Then after that, the athlete who went with me to try a new gym, who was still competing for my original gym, calls me to tell me the owner of the gym I got kicked out of was threatening to sue me for defamation, which by the way, is not really how defamation works. (laughs) To be sued for libel or defamation, what you're saying isn't true, like you have to lie. I had an entire year of messages corresponding with what I was saying. Also, how the hell are you gonna prove in a court of law that what you were doing wasn't bullying? He was saying that he was going to sue me for $100,000 because that's how many followers I had. Also, please keep in mind, I'm not fucking stupid. I never said the name of the gym. I never mentioned the owner of the gym by name. And me saying I felt bullied at my gym, I got kicked out. 
How is that not creating an atmosphere of intimidation, right? Also, how does that look that you're saying you're going to sue a 23-year-old for I just I, there's so many layers to this that are just so fucked up. And I have been living in this intimidated state and I have refrained from saying anything about the situation because it's so fucking stressful. Not to mention there are other characters in this story that I have to compete with and see somewhat regularly and they now treat me like shit at competitions. You could say that I handled the situation poorly by going to TikTok and saying I was bullied, which I wouldn't disagree with, although the atmosphere at the gym made it very difficult to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a grown man who was bullying me. It's like a classic weird power dynamic. But the point of all of this is to say that the reason I haven't spoken out about this is because I was intimidated. I was threatened indirectly with a lawsuit or saying the truth and never mentioning the place by name, which is just like... Uh, it's like classic emotional manipulation, but whatever. I literally am going to have an anxiety attack after I post this episode, but I really felt like I needed to speak my truth and just be honest about the situation. So if I get threatened with a lawsuit after this, you will all know why, okay? So now that the gym drama is under our belt, I have finally returned to CrossFit. And it's been so fun. I'm so happy to be back in a real gym doing functional fitness stuff again. Literally every single muscle in my body is sore. I am also jumping back into 100 miler training. I have not spoken much about this on the podcast, but I am running my first 100 miler Havilene 100 Halloween weekend and I am getting so excited. I am feeling so inspired watching the Leadville 100 this past weekend. It is finally starting Starting to sink in that I am going to be towing a starting line and running a hundred freaking miles. It's funny because running ultra marathons was why I started running in the first place. I've talked about my running journey I think on the first episode I don't know how much I dove into it but I ran my first road marathon when I was a freshman in college prior to college I played college volleyball I wasn't running I was doing a lot of like short high intensity stuff my muscles are definitely still all fast twitch even though I'm working on them being slow twitch but one of the reasons I started running was the book born to run it's like such a classic I'm I'm sure every single ultra marathoner has read it. It details the story of Leadville, of Western States. You learn who Scott Jurek is. It's like an intro to ultra running, very 2000s vibey type stuff. And I was so blown away by the fact that there are human beings on this planet who run a hundred miles. A hundred miles is just so unfathomable, even right now as I'm in the middle of hundred miler training. I just came off of the Colorado Trail. I completed 500 miles in a month, like did this physical act that I didn't even really know I could do until I had done it. And now I'm trying to find my running legs again because I have nine and a half weeks until I'm running a pretty runnable hundred miler in the desert in Arizona. Dude, I'm like already scared. But that is the point of 
ultra training, okay? I read a quote once that said, you may not be the person that can run 100 miles now, but through training, you're gonna grow into the person who can. And I love that quote so much because ultra training and a lot of other things in life are really just learning to love the process. Sure, crossing a finish line feels great, but it's the act of consistent daily training that makes you into the person that can cross that finish line. There is truly nothing better than doing a long training block, putting in the hours, knowing you did everything in your power to be as successful as you can, and then showing up to a race with the intention of having the best time possible, not putting all these expectations on the race, but just trusting your training, letting the day unfold. That is what is so special about long distance running. It doesn't even have to be a hundred miler. It could be your first half marathon. It could be your first marathon. It's all of these milestones that create this whole pathway of growth. I remember my first half marathon like it was yesterday. I remember the first time I ever ran 12 miles as a long run. In fact, I had a 12 mile run scheduled and I ended up running one extra mile just to prove to myself that I could run 13 miles. Running training is so special. And if you're not a runner listening to this podcast, I hope maybe it convinces you to give running a shot. I try to be a good advocate for this sport. I don't encourage people to run distances. They're not prepared for. A good rule of thumb is run your first 100 miler after you've been running for five years. And I'm accidentally falling exactly into that niche. I think I started running December of 2016 and I will be running my first 100 miler in October of 2022. So yeah, six years almost. Someone, I don't want to call anybody out, but someone commented on one of my TikToks like, I got off the wait list for Havilene 100 and my training hasn't really been there, but if you're doing it in 10 weeks, then like maybe I can do it in 10 weeks. I would literally never suggest that anyone look at my time frame of preparing for this 100 miler and apply it to their own training. I just came off of the Colorado Trail. I'm aerobically probably the most fit I've ever been in my entire life. I was living above 10,000 feet at least and spending a good deal of time at 12,000 feet. I'm also now living in Hawaii. I'm getting plenty of heat training in on a daily basis. And I also have a history of competing and running year round. So I would literally never compare my training to another person's based on like a 15 second video. If you feel like you have an adequate amount of time to prepare for a race and you feel comfortable knowing that in nine and a half weeks, you'll be running a hundred miler, then you should do it. (laughs) You should not. I never, ever, ever tell people to compare what they've got going on to my thing. There is so much to be said about the comparison game in running, and I definitely struggle a lot with the comparison game, especially now that I'm racing elite at Spartans and stuff. You see everyone else's runs, right? I am an athlete who has slower, easy runs, but I can still race fast, okay? So my easy runs, that's anywhere from like 10 to 12 minutes a mile. Most of the other girls running elite are racing or running like 8.30-ish easy runs. And whether that's a difference in their coaching, like my coach is just like, dude, run easy. You should be able to talk. Your heart rate should be like 125, like very chill runs. A lot of people don't really subscribe to this super easy running philosophy. A lot of people I see who are running and they're like 
average racers, they're usually running their easy runs way too fast. So I see a lot of people who are running like eight to nine minute miles on their their quote unquote easy runs. Their heart rate is like 155 and up and they're just performing subpar, you know. I can't believe this turned into a chat on running physiology, but here, here we go. So in running training, you need to be polarizing the fuck out of your training. Your easy runs should be so easy. You should be hardly sweating, unless you live in fucking Hawaii, <laughs> you should be hardly sweating. You should be able to talk easily. You you can still talk when your heart rate's in zone three, so that's not like a great indicator, but you should be able to hold an easy conversation. I love to use heart rate training. It's a great way to hold me accountable to my easy runs. If my heart rate is in the blue, if I'm in zone two, I know I'm doing a good job, and that pace quote-unquote will fluctuate on a day-to-day basis just based on my training and the heat and the weather and how I'm feeling what I ate etc so I do not focus on pace in my easy runs especially 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 ultra marathon training you are going to be running your race in zone two probably the entire time when you're training in zone three you're in this weird middle area you're not specifically training your aerobic system and you're also not training your speed. You're just getting really good at middle ground running and you're not letting your aerobic system or anaerobic system dominate. We want to train our aerobic system as much as we can in zone two and you're going to avoid injury because your impact force isn't going to be as high in addition to doing lots and lots of zone two running. So the rule of thumb here is that 80% of your miles are going to be zone two, zone one, easy, easy, easy runs. The other 20 to 10% are going going to be speed work or strides. My coach prescribes me strides and those are just short intervals, 15 to 20 seconds of speedier running. It's not quite an all out sprint, but we call it recess running. It's like if you're a kid playing tag on the playground, what speed are you going to be running, you know? And this is a great way to develop speed in the context of a slower aerobic run. You are teaching your body how to be speedier without dramatically increasing your injury risk. In addition to doing strides two to three times a week, I also have a speed interval workout. And then in my long run, my coach usually prescribes me either a longer interval, like fifth like five minutes, like three by five minutes or 15 minute of moderate running or like focusing on speed on the downhills. The purpose is to allow a your brain to create physiological connections with faster running without increasing your injury risk and beat have fun because if you're not having fun in running, you might as well quit. You might as well just stop doing it. And that is basically running training 101. A lot of people hate distance running because they're caught in that zone three, almost zone four middle ground. They're spending a lot of time in this like kind of difficult run. They're breathing hard. It's hot. They're sweating. It's not very fun when the vast majority of their miles should be easy. And there's a lot of ego that gets caught up in like running paces and easy runs. And you know what? I've learned that I race just as fast as the fast girls on their easy runs. So fuck it. If I'm racing well and I'm enjoying running, then this is how I'm going to run. And I don't have a problem with the world seeing that. My thesis here is live your life, baby. Run in zone two, 
fuck pace. Strava is a horrible place for comparison until you have healthy self-esteem and knowledge of running training and any speed or distance of running makes you a runner. Okay, mic drop on that segment. This is shaping up to be quite an episode. Holy fuck. Low key, I'm like still shaking from telling the gym story. I act like I'm all tough, but I I literally am scared. Like I was intimidated and scared, okay? So back to my OG topic before I started saying how I got kicked out of my gym and then went on to a spiel about running training physiology. Creating a routine, okay? As we all know, I am currently living in Honolulu. It is a very cool place. There are a lot of cute boys on Hinge to mess with. I go to the beach every day. I get to go on hot girl walks along the canal. Life is good in Honolulu. Creating a place in a new routine when you have a new life. That is <laughs> creating a place. Okay, hang on. Creating a routine in a new place. I'm so sorry. There's so much background sound here because I do not have a quiet place to record. So I apologize for the background sounds, okay? Routine is tough. Routine is very hard. When I first went on leave of absence, I moved into my Prius and I love living in the Prius. So before you're like, she's gonna talk shit. No, no, living in my car is the best, all right? However, living in my car, traveling full-time, road tripping full-time is not conducive for creating any kind of actual routine. These past two months of living in my car, being on the Colorado Trail, I have been craving a stable place to live where I can create a routine. At the moment, my current routine, I wake up in the morning, I eat a bagel for breakfast, I walk my mile and a half to the gym, I'm at the gym for a couple hours, I walk home from the gym, I come home from the gym and I'll either edit videos or I'll make another meal. I usually take a nap every afternoon it's 2 p.m right now and i haven't napped which is shocking but i did sleep nine and a half hours last night i am generally editing filming working on content uh, many hours of my day yesterday and i will talk about this a little bit more at the end of the pod but yesterday i actually created a website for my life coaching business that i have been meaning to start for nine months now but i have been very busy and sidetracked i have a to-do list every single day. At the end of the day, I go through, I cross off everything I did, and then I move things over to the next day if I have to. I also go for a run in the evening, and then I'll go to the beach at sunset with my roommate, and then we come home, I make dinner really quickly, and we are in bed by like 8.30 every night. It is the best routine, and it is shocking to me that I somehow before was also working nine hours a day and spending like 10 to 11 hours out of the house doing stuff. I will say that doing content full-time right now is a lot more work than I expected. I have for sure mentioned this on the pod, talking about being an influencer, being a content creator, how I used to think that they had it so easy. I was like, oh my God, they just like have to look hot and that's their whole job. Maybe it's the case for some people. It's not the case for me. I am in the process of learning YouTube. I'm gonna plug my channel real quick. Uh, you can follow me. I am making daily videos at the moment, which is a ton of work, but I feel like my learning curve is pretty, not steep, like 
the opposite of steep because I'm getting so much practice video creating and editing. So if you want to follow me on YouTube because you're curious what I get up to on a daily basis, you can follow me or subscribe or whatever, Max J. Smith. But the point I'm making here is that there is plenty of work for me to do despite the fact that I'm unemployed to the eyes of the world. I am truly full-time content creating, which is just, my dad is very disappointed in me. I think the reason it has been so easy for me to fall into a routine here is that I now know how it feels to struggle with having no routine. Again, the first month I was living in my car, it was a nightmare. I would wake up in the morning, I would do stuff on my phone for a couple hours, I would maybe go for a walk. I was like skipping meals, like I wouldn't eat like lunch. I would generally drive for four hours or so a day because I was in the middle of a road trip. I would maybe go for a run or go for a bike ride, usually sometime late in the evening because that's when I like to do my more cardio focused work. And then I would find a place to sleep and I would get there late and I would poorly make dinner or buy dinner. And that was my kind of routine and I posted a thing on Instagram and I said yo content creator friends how do you create schedule and literally not a single person had a routine or schedule that they subscribe to on a daily basis and then when I was on the Colorado trail we definitely had a routine I would wake up in the morning in my wet ass tent at 4 a.m I would pack my bag as quickly as I could I would shove a bar into my mouth, I would put my wet tent in my pack, and then we would walk all day. I would usually eat breakfast, which means drinking Carnation Instant Breakfast, which disgusts me now. I made a huge mistake on the trail. I did not put enough water in one time, and it was chalky, and I thought it tasted good, but then after, like, I'm, like, gagging right now as I say this. It just grosses me out now, okay? And then we would walk all morning. We would stop at noon for a little bit, like maybe an hour, eat some snacks, eat lunch, keep walking for another four to seven hours, and then get to camp, sit at my tent, make dinner, go right to sleep. I would read usually or like finish a vlog. There was definitely a routine in place and it's not, it wasn't a fun routine, but it, it was a routine and it definitely prepared me for the comfort of living in Hawaii. Tess, my roommate, and I have been comparing this time in Hawaii to like a business retreat. Both of us are kind of grinding on different projects. She is starting a esthetician business. She just got her esthetician license. And then she's also working on her content. She has a car page you can follow. It's called One Bad Bronco. It's kind of amazing. We love it. I made a corresponding Prius page. I really need to get on my grind on my Prius page. The Prius page, if you guys really want to go find it on Instagram, is one bad Prius Prime. And it's kind of like a thirst trap account, but for my Prius, it's just, it's, it's a joke. It's a meme, okay? I have like a million Instagram accounts and it's funny to me that that one exists, frankly. Anyways, so the point is we're on our grind, okay? We're waking up early. We're going to the gym. We're working on content. We're not answering any texts from anybody. It's great. And I am desperately clinging to this structure because I go back to LA in three weeks and I'm not ready. Oh my God. My leave of absence is supposed to be over September 19th. Just saying those words is 
I definitely have a lot of thoughts about that. And we will see what I do. Also, sidebar, I have not even started looking for housing in Los Angeles. So, your girl might be a little homeless. Uh, what's new? Haven't had a permanent address in two and a half months, so... Everything always works out anyway. That was kind of the point of the last podcast. Everything always works out. So I'm choosing not to worry about that until like two weeks before. All right. We're going to talk about van life. I'm doing kind of a lot of singing on this pod. I'm not 100% sure why. It's just like fitting. It's feeling natural. Van life. Car life. Are you curious? Everyone and their mother lives in a fucking vehicle these days, so my own history with living in a vehicle. Basically, anytime I get stressed out about signing a lease or creating any amount of permanency in my life, I freak out and I move into a car. For background, I graduated from college in May of 2020 semester of COVID-19. COVID shut down my senior year. I was on spring break and we get the emails. The whole world was shutting down. They're like, you're not coming back to school. Everything's moving online. At the time, I was living with my ex-boyfriend. I mean, we were boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. And then I broke up with him after college, as I've talked about on other episodes. But I was trying to figure out how him and I could move into a van for the rest of the semester. We were broke college students. I didn't know that you could buy a van with a lease. It was like a whole thing. I mean, a car payment, not a lease. You guys get the point. Him and I moved to Boulder. I break up with him after two months. I move into my CrossFit coach's basement, and then I moved to California. While I am in California, my company puts me in a hotel for a month living in a hotel for the first month of living in California, okay? And in this time, I was supposed to be looking for apartments. I had no idea where I wanted to live. I had no idea who I wanted to live with. I kind of wanted to live alone. I wasn't really planning on sticking around for that long. Kind of just wanted to make it to the one-year mark so I didn't have to pay back my signing bonus. So the idea of signing a lease somewhere was a bit terrifying. I didn't have the area mapped out yet. I wasn't sure where I wanted to live. It was just like, there was no part about being in California for one month that prepared me to sign a lease. Actually, (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it, I have not signed a lease since my senior year of college. I graduated two and a half years ago, you guys. Last time I signed a lease was like August, 2019 because I keep living in temporary living situations that do not require a lease, okay? I am afraid of commitment and I know it. My mom comes to visit me in California my first weekend because it was Labor Day weekend. And I'm like, you know what, mom? Like, I'm kind of thinking about buying a van. I wanna live in a van. And she says, yeah, you should do it. Let's look. It That was all it took for me to get serious about living in a van. I go on Facebook Marketplace. I find this really cute van. The guy selling it. We get on a FaceTime call and my mom is like, dude, you were so flirty. He was super cute. I hope he never hears this. He was like 20 at the time and a professional mountain biker and he was super cute and like very cool. The van was gorgeous him and I, he, he was like, you know what? I had another person who was trying to buy it, but I really like you. I'm going to sell it to you. It took 
three weeks for me to scramble to get the financing together. I couldn't get a loan because I was 21 and I had no history of loan payments because I didn't have student loans and I didn't, it was just like a fucking nightmare trying to get this thing financed. I finally figure out the financing, I buy the van and I move into it full time. This is the first year of my career. So I move in end of September, 2020. I am going to the gym twice a day. I'm living in the van. I am showering at the gym. I am sleeping at trailheads in Malibu. I'm sleeping in neighborhoods in Agora, like truly just like dirtbagging it and working full-time. Like I had a full-time in-person job. There was nothing about my job that is remote or could be done remotely. After about eight months of this, I'm like fully in my hardo phase, okay? I'm training four hours a day for Spartan North American Champs. I, in my head, I'm like, yeah, like I'm just grinding. I'm living my life. I'm being uncomfortable, like being selfish. Like for the first time in my goddamn life, I was learning how to live my life for myself. If I wanted to go somewhere, I went. I was gone every single weekend, traveling, camping in the van, going on running retreats by myself, alone in the woods. I saw so many places and I was so motivated to just like see the whole world. It was the best time ever. Like I look back on this year of my life so fondly and I'm so grateful that I did this. Around the time of Spartan Noram, so it's like end of September 2021, I am starting to realize that it might be time for me to move out of the van. I'm in therapy. My therapist is like, yo, you don't have to live in physical and emotional turmoil just because that's what you're used to. And I was like, Slay, Slay, Shelly, you're right. So I'm trying to find a place to live. And it just so happens to work out that Tess, my best friend who I'm here with in Hawaii, had an extra bedroom in her house. I had asked her like, hey, when your roommate, we had this other roommate at the time, moves out, like I would love to move in. And she was like, hey, like I actually have an extra bedroom. I just need to clean it out and whatever. So I moved in with Tess uh, end of September, and then we were living in that house until May, June. I think it was early June, which is what spurred my whole leave of absence. Uh, I'm living in the house. Everything's great. Her boyfriend moves in with us. We're having a good old time. And then I just start realizing that I'm really bored in our area. We were living in Thousand Oaks. It's very like suburbs. It's where you settled down. I was driving to Santa Monica like two or three times a week to hang out with my friends. I was just bored and ready to move into my own place. So I had started like tentatively searching for an apartment. At this point, I so literally it's burned into my memory. So I went to go compete at Go Rec Games in Jacksonville. I almost missed my flight and Tess texts me as I'm getting on my flight. Hey, I am selling the house. Like, I'm really sorry. Don't try to talk me out of it. I, you know, the financial obligation and I'm going to move in with Max and da, 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 da. And I was like, yo, you're good because I was wanting to move to Santa Monica anyway. And she offers to help me find a place. It's all looking like it's going to work out. All right. This is in April. Then through a series of events that unfold, one, I start looking for apartments in Santa Monica and I get really fucking freaked out at the idea of signing a one-year lease just to come back to my full-time job. Like just to commit to my full-time job, just to commit to staying at my engineering job so I have the money to pay for an expensive fancy lease in Santa Monica. 
two, my friend's dad dies and he had this like fundamental impact on my life. Like the way he lived his life, the way he loved the outdoors. It was just like, I, I, I grieved. Okay. And it pushed me over the edge. And then there was like a third thing that happened that I can't really remember off the top of my head, but something else happened and it was all in one weekend. And I was like, dude, fuck this. Like I am not staying in Los Angeles. I decide I'm going to fully quit my job and I'm going to go back back the Colorado Trail. I'm going to figure out from there. I had saved a ton of money living in the van. I also, just the way I lived my life, I was not paying very much in rent. I was saving a ton of money every month. Like Financially, I had set myself up to at least take three months off, if not way longer. In addition to the fact that I'm making money off social media, it was just like entirely plausible to quit, like fully quit my job and I would just figure it out. The plan is to sell the house early June. I was gonna live with a friend for a month and then I was going to quit. Then the friend I was supposed to live with kind of fell through and I I get talked into taking a leave of absence instead of fully quitting. Giving myself some kind of safety net, I would get to keep my health insurance so I wouldn't have to figure out health insurance literally while I'm on the Colorado Trail. Taking leave of absence, I could leave earlier than July. My living situation in Los Angeles was pretty perilous, so I was ready to go. I give my job, I think it was like a week and a half of notice. I packed up my Prius. I donated so many of my belongings. I asked my coworker to help me build a little platform in the back of my car so I could sleep in it. And middle of June came around and I took off. In fact, tomorrow is the two-month anniversary of me being quasi-unemployed. And these two months have been amazing, and I feel like an actual human being again. However, the point being that living in a vehicle is actually a great stopgap if you're between places. If you need to get from A to B, just live in your fucking car, dude. Everyone's always like, where do you shower? Where do you do this? You figure it out. Like, again, with same thing with the Colorado Trail about just becoming more resourceful and using your resources to your advantage. A, you don't need to shower every day. I went like two weeks between showers on the Colorado Trail, which was disgusting. I'm not going to say go two weeks, but like you can live going a day or two between showers. All right. And if you're crafty, you'll figure it out. Having the confidence to be put in any situation and know, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. That is true resourcefulness. That is my take on living in a van, living in a car. Right now, that topic is like so, I mean, it's like polarizing, but it's also very much not polarizing. Like people get so angry on social media. And I fully understand that there's a difference between choosing to live in a car and having most of your options stripped of you and like having to live in a car. And I acknowledge my own privilege in, you know, being able to buy a van and being able to live in my car as a choice. But that is kind of my hot take of the day on living in a vehicle. No, it is not as glamorous as people make it look on social media. There are some people on social media whose whole thing is like, I live in this beautiful 100k van and we sleep in front of national parks every night and here's our view and here's our here's our perfect purebred dog and we were so in love and we eat so well and we're always clean and you know the list it just goes on and on living in a van living in a car it's not that glamorous 
it just, it just isn't. There were a lot of nights I ate cold mashed potatoes for dinner. <laughs> Many times I went between showers even though I'd gone for a long run and I was disgusting. One time I took a bath in a lake and I had a dead bug in my hair when I went to the hairdresser like two days later. It is gremlin girl summer core, okay? It's not glamorous, but it, it gets the job done. Something that holds a lot of people back from living in a van, living in a car, is just fear, like straight up. And I, trust me, I fully understand that. Buying a van, moving into a van was so scary. You're doing something that is so off the normal beaten path, especially working full-time, like a normal corporate job. It was just so out of nowhere. There's no guidebook. There's no, it is very difficult to find people living that way. Also with being a solo female, because I checked my analytics today and the listeners of this podcast are 90 to 95% female. Girls, I see you. Also, dudes listening to this, you know, props to you. You're here. <laughs> you're a small, small minority, but you are here. And the rules are just different when you're a girl on her own living in a van. You have to be more careful about where you choose to sleep. You have to be more careful about interacting with people. You're not really supposed to let people know you're solo female. It's just, it's like a lesson in putting your money where your mouth is and facing that fear with courage and just a willingness to give it a shot. People would always ask me like, aren't you afraid being alone? And I just... Like, yeah, the first night or two you're afraid, but then it just becomes your norm. It's a very similar thing to backpacking alone. You adapt and you become less fearful and your confidence grows. I loved living in a van. There were so many upsides to it. I got to see so many places I wouldn't have seen otherwise. I feel so much more comfortable just by myself. Again, this was a period of my life where I didn't know how to be alone. I have talked a bit about my breakup with my college boyfriend, although maybe not very much. What that breakup pretty much boiled down to was I didn't have my own identity anymore. My whole identity, everyone just knew us as a couple, so my whole identity was being a part of this duo. His name was Zach. We literally had the same fucking name. We were Mac and Zach. <laughs> I adore my ex. He's awesome. We are still friends, but there is so much of this relationship that was not healthy or conducive for my own growth. And being in my early 20s, they're very formative years. There's a lot of growing you have to do. There's a lot of things you need to figure out and you need to figure out what you want to do with your freaking life. There is never as good of a time to be single as your early 20s. Maybe it's because I'm emotionally unavailable as shit, but I just love being single. It's so fun. Tess has been trying to set me up on dates and I I just don't want to go. I don't want to go. I want to go to bed at 9 30. I don't want to drink. Like has anybody else really noticed how much of dating is like also heavily drinking culture? Oh, let's go out for a drink. Let's go out tonight. Like, I don't want to drink. I had to be up early to go to CrossFit tomorrow and I have a long run. My long run is on Saturday. Okay, sir. I don't want to go out on Friday night. So I spend most of my time on dating apps just like, I wouldn't say harassing. Harassing is the wrong word, but I, I spend a lot of time straight memeing men. Okay. There was this guy. <laughs> His whole profile, it was him, like, he's a pilot, and th God, there's like eight military bases on Honolulu, so every other man 
here works for the DOD or is in the military. His whole profile was him being a pilot for the Navy. And my opening line to him was, have you heard of Top Gun? And I stand by that. That's fucking hilarious. There's some other good ones. Give me one second. There was this guy who was from Colorado and he was in the Navy. Okay. There's lots of Navy men in my DMs, clearly. (laughs) And he liked my pick. And then I said, from Aspen? And he said, yep. I said, I happen to be fresh off a Colorado trip. Didn't make it to Aspen. Did go through Breck, though. He responds, hey, Breck isn't bad. It's not quite Aspen, though. What are you doing in Hawaii? I respond a day later. Oh, I actually joined the Navy. Just got off the ship or plane or whatever. There was another guy and his name is Kainoa. Kainoa, something K-A-I-N-O-A, okay? And his whole profile was about how he likes the water, he likes being at the ocean, whatever. My opener is, it sounds like you like the water. He responds, I love the water. What about you? What are some of your favorite things? (laughs) I say, well, quinoa, I'm glad you asked. First of all, love drinking water. Top three favorite thing for sure. I do it every day. He didn't respond. (laughs) Probably because I called him quinoa, but I'd never like to assume. There was another guy who I actually would have gone out with. He seemed pretty cool. He had a picture from Boulder on his profile. He lives here, whatever. And so he asked me for my Instagram. I give him my Insta and I say, like, feel free to slide in the DMs. He doesn't respond. So then a day later, I say, tough crowd in the DMs or what? I think he saw my Instagram and he was scared off. I know I look cute on my Instagram, okay? It wasn't a matter of me being cute. I think he was scared and he's a coward for that. (laughs) Okay, there was another guy. His name's Jake. And men always fucking do this. They have like one or two pics at the top of their profile where they're like so hot. They're like an actual god. And then it kind of, it falls off from there. Like men don't have a lot of pics themselves. I get it, right? So this guy, I'm on Bumble and Hinge. You you get a good variety on both, okay? I refuse to touch Tinder. It's so scary on there. This particular guy, we matched on Bumble and I sent an opener to him. I said, the stash can stay. He had this amazing mustache. I'm a sucker for a good mustache. You know, we love it. And then I'm pretty sure he unmatched me because I can't find the convo anymore. Like a day and a half later, he fucking matches with me on Hinge, invites me to start the convo. And I say, pretty sure I messaged you. The stash can stay on Bumble and you unmatched me. He has yet to respond. There's got to be one. Let me find one more good one. There's a really good one in here. Okay, so I matched with this guy and he had sent me a rose. Like, wow, thanks. What an honor. He invites me to start the chat. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not starting the chat. He then messages me like an hour later after I don't message him. So on my profile, one of my prompts is what I want to know about you. And it says your stance on bees, like the flying insect. And I have gotten some funny responses. Some guys are like, I would never stand on a bee. Like it just... (laughs) whatever they, they can have it so this particular guy he, he, you know he starts his own chat after inviting me to start the chat because he's a coward and he messages me who doesn't support bees though you'd have to be a sociopath to not i respond there's pros and cons he responds how so and then i never reply and that is our entire conversation that's pretty much it for the good stuff in my hinge right now there's better stuff on bumble but that's where we're at in the hinge and i think really everything i've just told you guys is such a good little snapshot into 
the reason that I'm not dating. I love memeing. I love saying just complete non sequiturs. It's amazing what men will respond to. I learned, I used to try way harder on dating apps, but then David ran my hinge for a while and he would say the most out of pocket shit and men would always respond. There was this one guy, he sent me like an MLA essay and we responded with, okay. And then he said, haha, anyways, and then started another MLA essay. Girls, you can get away with doing so much less, so much less on dating apps. I hope that this episode inspires you to really just, I I don't know, take control of your dating life. Stop giving a fuck about what men on the internet think about you. Be kind of emotionally unavailable and toxic and get your laughs. I don't know if any of this is good. I don't know if this is good stuff. Um, I haven't been to therapy in a while, so. Dude, what an episode. How, How did we get here? Oh yeah, I was telling you Tess was trying to set me up on a base to get me on a military base. Well, she wants to come too. She wants to do a little double date action. Not really a double date. It's kind of like a two on one date because she has a boyfriend, but she's trying to get me on a military base in Hawaii. And I'm just so utterly uninterested in meeting any man from an app. I mean, any man in general, really. So maybe that'll be my project for the week is to try and stir up some trouble, bring you some good stories for the pod. Fun story, I did, I did a thing. My ex-boyfriend, he is in dental school. Sorry, I should clarify, my high school ex-boyfriend, not my college boyfriend who has a master's degree in optical engineering. High school ex-boyfriend, he just started dental school and I know this because... One of his classmates posted like a cute little, like we're on our first day of dental school pic and tagged my ex and he reposted it. And me being a toxic ass girl, wouldn't even say toxic, okay? Not toxic, just curious. Being a curious gal myself, I clicked on the story to open it so I could see all of the names like everyone who was tagged see if there were any cuties you know i was curious and the man whose profile it came from literally one of the most attractive men i've ever seen in my entire life so clearly emotionally unavailable like everything about his profile was giving avoidant attachment which is my bread and butter we love a man who is incapable of intimacy in this household right and it's because of my core fear of being seen by men anyways (laughs) i dm my (laughs) ex-boyfriend i said yo what's up with josh he said you stalking i replied yeah definitely man is fine he said i'm dying you should slide in the dms or i can put in a good word and i said nah he looks emotionally unavailable game sees game the little handshake emoji he says lmao you're kidding me and i just like it it's just so easy out here. I can't really remember the original plotline we were talking about before I started on this tangent. I really would love to have a hinge corner because there's so many things behind the scenes that I just don't tell you guys, even though it would seem that my entire life is on the internet. And lastly, but not leastly, (laughs) I have started going through my DM requests because I've been avoiding my DMs as well as just my regular text messages from people I know for months now. Honestly, I've ran away from everybody. And I have to stay, I have to say, not I have to stay. I have some of the sweetest, kindest DMs that I've ever seen in my entire life. 
last week I mentioned Kat's DM and I got around to responding to her and she's a sweet little angel baby. Sometimes social media is really hard because it feels like everything you do, there's just constant criticism. No matter what you're doing, where you're posting, how you post it, someone is always going to have negative commentary about it and it gets exhausting. And I was in tears on the floor of my apartment at some of these DMs because they were so kind. You all are the reason that I do this. I always say, you know, even if nobody was listening, even if nobody was watching, I would still make content, but it is so fulfilling and kind and I see all of you and it just like it really does bring me to tears sometimes to know that my words and my actions and the things that I post have a positive impact on like a decent number of people and I feel so honored that you guys have chosen me de facto to be your gremlin leader so that's my thank you for the day. I, th- I feel like I do a little gratitude moment on every episode, but I really truly mean it. I was reflecting a lot today while I was sitting in a coffee shop thinking about the fact I was gonna have to run 100 fucking miles in two months and reflecting about my path to get here and how when I was younger, I was always such a performer. I love when people are watching me. My favorite thing about competing is being in front of people. I like being good at what I do and I like, like it just, I'm a performer, like truly at my heart, I'm a performer. And it's so funny that I accidentally ended up in this little niche where I'm like performing and making content and running and like I get to do all these things I love for kind of a living and there's not a day that goes by that I'm not really grateful for it. Like this is my life and I'm obsessed. So thank you to all of you who have made it this far in the pod. Oh, I forgot to mention one thing. So... I have not posted this anywhere else yet. If you are listening to this pod, if you have made it 53 minutes into this podcast today, you are the first to hear these things. Nine months ago, I got my life coaching certification and then I got busy and I was athleting every weekend and I was working a full-time job and I was content creating full-time and I never formally started my business. I would coach people for funsies or on the side, but I was never life coaching as a a thing, right? Life coaching does not mean, by the way, me just telling you how to live your life. Something that I am really good at is I know how to use my authentic voice. I know how to speak from the heart and I know how to translate that into my actions. I'm also a very good listener. I think I've honed a lot of really deep listening skills. That was something that I learned very intently in my six-month life coaching course was how to listen to what people are actually saying. And as an athlete, as a content creator myself, I spend a lot of time putting my money where my mouth is. Like I practice courage on a daily basis and I access my authentic voice and these are my strengths, okay? And what I aim to do with life coaching is bring that out in others. I put that, you know, my specialty or whatever is authenticity and wellness. These are the things that I'm good at. And so if you are interested in 
having a conversation about life coaching. I am going to start accepting clients. I'm going to start small. I was thinking like three to five people max to begin. I am going to be very picky with who I take as a client. I want my clients to bring me energy. I don't want my clients to be draining. So if you feel like there's something in your life where you're feeling very stuck, and you admire my approach to life, and you admire my authentic voice, I am offering 30-minute consultation calls. The purpose of these calls is to find out if it's a good fit for you and for me, because a coach-client relationship is really special, and that's the only way that life coaching works, is if we have a good bond. So my website is complete. It's linked in my bio on my personal Instagram page. There is a link on my website to sign up for coaching spots, and we will have little conversations, and we'll figure out if it's a good fit, or even if life coaching is what you need, because maybe Maybe it's not even life coaching you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for something more like therapy or you're looking for just something that I don't really offer. So that is my self-promotion for the day. I am so terrified about this entire episode. Literally everything about this episode is vulnerable and real and authentic and scary. So again, thank you for listening. It's an honor to lead the gremlins and i love you all if you enjoyed the episode share with your friends share it on your instagram tag the gremlin talk podcast instagram send it to your hottest friend send it to your mom tell her i love her and i hope you have the most amazing day and you're inspired to do something that aligns with your authentic self i love you all you're the best thank you for making my job so meaningful and worthwhile okay i'm gonna cry after this is done